a hard-hitting song right there. I like that. That's a good start. You know, a little metal, a little sporty. I like that. But what's up, everybody? I'm your host for the Sports Addict Podcast, the football catching, the wall climbing, the TV watching, the girl stealing, host with the most, Ethan A. Dobbins. And this is episode numero dos of the Sports Addict Podcast. How's everybody doing? I know I already said this, but I, I really want to know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You got an A on that test? Wow. I, I, good work. I know you've been studying in that class, really. That's, that's impressive. I know that teacher's been giving you a hard time. But, you know, let's, let's, let's get back on topic. So the first topic on today's podcast involves the MLB, but more specifically, the train wreck, the fire sale, the team with no heartbeat, the team that's getting the crap kicked out of them right now on every single social media platform. It is, of course, the Miami Marlins. Now, I want to try to get into the head of Jeter, Bruce Sherman, and the group of investors that have taken over the Marlins. Because in a few months, they've already become the most hated people in South Florida. A very hard task, I'll tell you that. But they've done it. So they were taking over a team, you know, that finished under 500 for the more than five consecutive years. Marlins haven't had a winning season in God knows how long. I think in 2009. So they finished this year 77 and 85. So not the best, not the worst. I mean, they honestly looked like they were just one or two pitchers away from breaking the duck, finally making the playoffs. Because, man, they were easily one of the best hitting teams of baseball. So as Derek Jeter, what would you do? What was your first move if you were Derek Jeter? Now, what... You know, why would he do what he's done so far? Honestly, what are they getting back in these trades of all these superstars? I mean, seriously, what, what's, what have they gotten back? Just minor leaguers? Who are these players? I mean, who are these guys? Are they actually going to start for the Marlins? Man, you have a lot of good questions, you know? I mean, seriously, you're a good listener. I like you. You know, you can continue listening. You're pretty cool. But um, let's get into more detail about what the Marlins have done since Jeter has taken over and a little more insight about Derek Jeter and what he, um, what his motivations are this season, what are his goals. So right now, Derek Jeter's annually going to make $5 million as the CEO of the Marlins after taking over. And a big thing people are missing but are talking about is every year the Marlins make a profit, which they are projected to make $65 million profit because they're about to do a new deal with, I think, CBS for like $45 million. So they're going to make a profit this year. Jeter gets an extra... 2 million bonus per year that the Marlins profit. So a nearly 50% increase to his already high 5 million salary. So if you were Derek Jeter, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to blame the dude if I was making that much. And if I can make 2 million more per year just by making a profit, you know, I might not trade all these good players, but I, I would definitely try to do anything I can to make a profit. Because that's what you do when you put your money into a business. I mean, owners of, you know, big teams, obviously... They want the team to succeed, but it's more about making a profit, let's be honest. Unless There's no like Mark Zuckerberg out there who doesn't care about money and is just hoping for the best, honestly. But some owners may care more about success than others. Right now, Jeter is going to take the long route, the 76ers trust the process, MLB edition route. But let's get into the stats. Let's get into the main beef. You know, I love my stats. I can't make any comments. I can't make opinions unless... They're based and backed up by facts. So let's get into this. So Marlins finished 
the MLB this year with the third most walks given up, and they were bottom five in strikeouts. So clearly pitching is a main issue on the Marlins. Like I said, you know, they need some starting pitching. Their best pitcher is someone that you've never heard of unless you live in Miami. Juan Urania, who uh, had a decent season, I'll admit. He didn't finish 500, which is a little bit surprising considering how much run support he got. But he had around a 3.82 ERA. Nothing, nothing terrible, but nothing amazing there. So Derek Jeter said he wants to cut the payroll to $90 million this season. Right now, it's at $97 million. And only three of their players are above $10 million per year. Martin Prado, third baseman. Starling Castro, who they got in the Stanton trade from the Yankees. And Wei Yang Chen. You know who that is? I mean, I, I sure don't. Because you want to know why? This man made less than 10 pitching appearances last year as a starting pitcher. And he's going to make over $12 million. I mean, talk about stealing a career. The man from Taiwan. You know? You gotta appreciate the man's grind. Seriously, I mean that's insane. Twelve million a year—that's more than a million per start for a mediocre mid-table pitcher. I don't know what the Marlins are doing there. I'm not—I'm surprised he hasn't been traded yet. But then again, what MLB team would want to actually take his salary? So let's talk about the major superstar trades. What everyone's been angry about? What the taxpayers have been angry about? Why are they trading all these good superstars? What are they getting back? So the first trade was D. Gordon, a man that's very dear to my heart. I had him in my first ever MLB Fantasy Draft. He was coming off that amazing 2014 season with the Dodgers where he finally got a full season role, had 64 stolen bases for the Dodgers, led the MLB. And when I drafted him, he goes off in his first season for the Marlins. 333 average, 60 stolen bases, makes the All-Star team, wins a Golden Glove. He's looking like a future of the Marlins right there. At least, that's a guy you signed to a 13-year 300 million plus deal. I'll tell you that. So D. Gordon, uh, in the past four seasons, has led that MLB in stolen bases. Obviously, he's a speedster. He knows the right time to, you know, steal second, steal third. He knows what he's doing. And the only reason why he hasn't gone four for four is because he had that PED season, 2016, played less than 80 games. So there was really nothing he could have done, except for maybe not cheat. But it, it, we can forgive him for that. You know, he's been clean since then. So, D. Gordon was scheduled to make $13 million for the next four years. Very respectable. And this season, he was only scheduled to make $11 million, which was top 10 among second basemen, but it's not top 5. So, for a guy his, like of his quality that can produce as much as he can, I think that's pretty reasonable. Very reasonable, in my opinion. So, he's traded to the Mariners. He's going to be their center fielder now because they also have Robinson Cano. And just a quick note, the Mariners, for some reason have three of the top 10 highest paid salaries for second baseman. They have Gene Segura, who's number 10. They have number one, Robinson Cano, making $24 million, And they have D. Gordon. I don't know what the Marlins' plans are there. I mean, the Mariners' plans. But something's going on there. Something's fishy in Seattle. I like it. But, uh, so, Mariners traded Nick Nader, Christopher Torres, and Robert Duggar, all minor leaguers, minor league prospects. So, obviously, it was a clear salary dump. Arguably, could be the worst trade this offseason for the Marlins, considering it was a clear salary dump. They're not getting as much as they're really giving up to the Mariners. Nick Nader, uh, Nader is really the only guy that I can see potentially actually playing for the Marlins because he was actually top five prospect for the Mariners' farm system, and he's going to be around there for the Marlins as well. And he is a relief pitcher, which the Marlins desperately need 
considering I'm pretty sure Farquad was their pitcher last year. Freaking King Farquad was their pitcher. I love seeing his name. I went to five Marlins games last year, and he was he always pitched, and I love him because he's long hair. I'm pretty sure he's long hair too. Not 100 percent sure, but just a quick note. Derek Jeter said attendance is going to rise this season, and I can't honestly believe that. I can, because the Marlins had the lowest attendance in the National League last year, so how can it get really worse? And if you look at the statistics, it says, oh, 20,000 was the average attendance. That's really just how many tickets sold, because I went to five games. There was no more than 5,000 people there. It was totally empty, and that's with a lot of superstars, with a pretty decent team. So clearly, Miami, even with these stars wasn't really giving love back to the team. you got to admit. So, change was needed. Derek Jeter is looking for that long-term route. So, Nick Nider, let's get back onto him. He throws around 94 miles per hour. His best pitch is his changeup, which is always good. You want relievers to have good off-speed stuff. They don't necessarily need the 100, 102-mile fastballs that are absolutely insane. So, he could be called up easily because the Marlins have the six-worst cumulative ERA among all pitchers in the MLB. So they're nearly giving up five runs a game at an ERA of 4.82. But their hitting was so good last year that they won 77 games. And just, just to put this into context, the Pirates had 75 wins, so two less, and had an ERA of 4.22. More than half a run differential there, and yet they still had two less wins. So clearly, Marlins were amazing at batting. Pitching is an issue. And guys, we're just, I don't even know how to, introduce this next trade. Obviously, it's everybody's favorite player in Miami. The man, the human cheat code, the 6-6 freak, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, how do you, why do you trade a guy like that? I mean, I get it. You signed him to arguably the worst contract in all of sports because he came off a great season and he was hyped up. It was, you know, it's his time to make the money. And we gave him a little, just a little too much, just a little, over $300 million. But... The Yankees are going to take $260 million of that contract, while the Marlins only have to pay up, I think, either 25 It's around 25 to $35 million. So they're getting rid of that. Yankees are taking that up. But the problem is, Stanton won the freaking MVP. You don't trade MVPs. That's the players you build around. I get it. It's a terrible contract. Jeter wants to make the profit, but he's an MVP. He hit 59 home runs. He led the MLB in home runs and RBIs. Ugh, it's just... I mean, he literally takes the phrase, I'm going to take you 450 dead center to a whole new meaning. I mean, did you see him in that home room derby? He was just killing the ball. He was hitting at 480 left center, no doubters. It didn't even look like he was breaking a sweat out there. Only Aaron Judge could really top him because Aaron Judge is also another cheat code. I mean, geez, Aaron Judge standing on the same team. That's just, that's not fair. That really isn't fair. That's like the Warriors in the NBA. Yankees, World Series are bust right there. Ugh. Okay, so, obviously, he's in his prime right now, stands in his prime. It is a salary dump. So, what did the Marlins get for an MVP? What are they getting? They got Starlin Castro and minor leaguers Jorge Guzman and Jose Devers, who is the cousin of Rafael Devers. I believe he's the third baseman for the Red Sox, who's incredibly talented. He had, like, a seven-year, $43 million deal. He's looking like the next big power hitter in the MLB, next big Latino star. So uh, let's get more into the detail about Starling Castro because he is the only major leaguer that they got in this trade. Castro is a second baseman. He had a really good season, so he's going to be D. Gordon's replacement. 
he has a good contract, so he's locked up for the next two years for around $11 million, and he has a third-year option, team option, $16 million that the Marlins can accept. I doubt Derek Jeter will, knowing his uh, salary issues and uh, new policy, so he'll get traded soon. He might even get traded in this same offseason because Castro doesn't want to play for the Marlins. And can you really blame him? The Marlins are looking like they're going to be the worst team in the MLB. I mean, Jeter has made the Marlins a very terrible place for free agents to come. Why would they want to come to the Marlins when you see the direction they're going in? And it takes a lot of work to make Miami an undesirable place for free agents. I mean, seriously, the the amount of Hispanic and Spanish culture here, and considering how many Latinos play in the MLB, it's very hard to actually make them not want to play baseball. I mean, Jeter's got a lot of a lot of work to do with this team. But, um... Let's get into the minor leaguers. So the prospects are really nothing special. Guzman is the only one with a real chance to get called up. He's also a reliever. So clearly uh, Marlins know their weaknesses. They're going for those young pitchers possibly getting called up. He is currently ranked number two in the Marlins farm system as he can reach 100 without breaking a sweat. You know, he's a human flamethrower. You get a lot of those these days. And of course, with human flamethrowers, he's got struggles with his accuracy and control and it's off-speed stuff isn't really Major League ready yet. And you know, these days, a lot of Major League hitters, nearly all of them can hit 100-mile-per-hour pitches. Even though it sounds crazy, they can do it. I mean, if you watch that World um, AL Championship, I was watching Astros versus Yankees. Yankees have like a 6'8 reliever throws 100. He was getting teed up. I mean, so you, you can throw 100. You got to have good off-speed stuff. You really do. So he might not get called up immediately. But I can see him getting called up one, two years from now. And, of course, for the Marlins, the the main, I guess, positive, it's $25 million off the books for this season. So, good work, Jeter. Great stuff. So, the last major trade is Marcelo Zuna. Arguably the best value player on the Marlins, you know, because he's only scheduled to make $9 million this year. And if you look at his stats from last year, it's just insane that he's only getting paid $9 million. Cardinals got an absolute steal from him, is what I would say, until you really dive into the trade details. Because this was the best trade for the Marlins. Because this was the most valuable player, only $9 million. He hit 37 home runs, 124 RBIs, which ranks top three in MLB behind only Arenado and Staten. So he had a 312 average as well. Marlins, they know how to hit the ball. Barry Bonds is that hitting coach. He knows what he's doing. And he won a Golden Glove. Just just add a little little extra spice, a little extra sugar to his season. But um the Marlins did get four prospects for Ozuna. And three of those are actually currently in the top ten in the Marlins farm system, which you actually hope to get when you trade someone as good as Ozuna. So they got three pitchers in the trade, with the best being Sandy Alcantara, of course not a household name, but he did he does have major league experience. He was called up by the Cardinals last season. He made eight appearances, not the best ERA, so you can't expect people to jump from the minors to majors and immediately make a huge impact. But the kid's 6'5", 185, under 23 years old, from the Dominican, throws, you know, high heat. I'm talking he reaches triple digits and and he's not a reliever. He's a starter. So finally, the Marlins got a starter. There was a 90-mile-per-hour slider and an 80-plus-mile-per-hour changeup. The kid is throwing heat. 
And I like that. I mean, he's got good off-speed stuff, so there should be a really high chance he gets called up. I would love to see him getting called up during opening day. I think he can be a top-five pitcher for the Marlins right now. He looks really good off the gates. You know, minor leagues, he has an under 2.7 ERA, so he's looking good. And when your best starter, again, is Jose Urania, your bullpen is going to need a lot of help. Another big name that really comes out of this trade is an outfielder, uh, Sierra, who is uh, currently number six in the Marlins farm system. So he's an outfielder, sort of has the same properties as D. Gordon, a lot of wheels, doesn't really have the home run type of power. But he's the top of the order sort of player that also comes from the Dominican. And he's got 20 stolen bases in less than 80 minor league games last year. So the dude's got wheels to spare. But, you know, I want to end this whole Marlins rant here. They fixed the farm system. The farm system is looking pretty decent. It was one of the worst to begin with when Jeter took over. It's now pretty mid-table, maybe upper 15 so he fixed that, and obviously he had to trade his three main stars to do that. And it doesn't look like the offseason, I guess, weight removal is done yet because Christian Yelich, 26 years old, $11 million for the next four years, wants to be traded. He doesn't like the direction. He knows his friends got traded. He doesn't want to be on a losing team. You can't really blame him. He's got competitive spirit. When he signed that seven-year deal, he was under the impression that, you know, the Marlins are going to continue to build and actually improve. And this is, you know, of course, a major shock to him and every single player. So he wants to get traded. There's more than five teams interested in him. So there's a really good chance he'll get traded probably within the next month. Who knows what the Marlins are going to get? Probably more, you know, minor league prospects. We'll see what happens there. And also JT Realmuto, one of the best hitting catchers in the MLB. He batted 278 last year. 17 home runs, and 65 RBIs, and he's also 26 years old. I mean, the only real silver uh, lining there is Real Mudo has only a year left on his deal, So, but he is a top 10 catcher in this league. You got to sign those players up. He's really a big impact on this team, and he's the reason why the Marlins had a top 5 average cumulative in the MLB. They were absolutely amazing when hitting the ball. They were top 10 in RBIs as well. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a completely revamped team. It's going to be a long and hard process for the Miami Marlins. Uh, it's sad to say. But um, right now, the Marlins are 0-0, so uh, I guess that's something to celebrate right there. They're not 0-162 yet. Derek Jeter's yet to lose a game. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. You can't really throw Jeter under the bus until you really see how the Marlins perform, until you see the attendance, because right now, I'm under the NWA impression that there's no such thing as bad publicity. And uh, the Marlins are getting a lot of publicity. They're very relevant. They're easily the most relevant team in the MLB right now. They're getting a ton of stories out because of the whole Jeter thing. And uh, I think that will boost attendance. I mean, I'm sort of interested in the Marlins now. I wasn't interested in them last season. I didn't really care. But now I want to know how good they're going to do. I want to see if they're going to tank. I want to see if they're going to succeed. I want to see if Jeter proves the doubters wrong. So it should be a really interesting season. A lot of eyes are going to be on the Marlins. So I'm going to end that section here. I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, coming up is going to be my predictions for the NFL championship round matchups. So uh, don't go for long. I'm going to be right back.
know, when it comes to rap music, I really like lyrical rappers like g Easy, uh, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. J. Cole is honestly my god. But for some reason, I'm really into Takashi 69 right now. I don't know what it is about him. Gummo is like... That's my that's my song, man. I, it gives me so much energy in the morning. I play them in the morning. I just feel like totally new person. Like I'm tired as hell. But when I play that, I'm just like, yeah, let's let's do this. I'm ready. It's like motivation. So uh, I, I don't know why I like it so much. But uh, let's get into the NFL. Let's get into the NFL. So uh, if you watched last week, Saints uh, choke city. Uh, as a Saints supporter, that was absolutely heartbreaking. To see them come back from being down 17-0. I mean, the Vikings looked like they were going to run away with the game. And they oh, they got so lucky. So lucky. Marcus Williams. I mean, my first reaction to that was, I was like, Marcus Williams needs to be cut immediately. I need him to be thrown into a ditch. And I don't want to see his face ever again. I don't want to see him win that Saints jersey. Which is, of course, really harsh. But um, I just had really strong emotions after that game. I just... I, the Vikings... Congratulations to them and all. I, If there is a team to support in the playoffs, it would be them because I really want to see them play at home in the Super Bowl. That would be really awesome to see uh, from a neutral standpoint. But I, it's just really heartbreaking for the Saints. Drew Brees said uh, this one's really going to stick for a while. And of course it will. I mean, losing on the last play of the game like that, that's absolutely... God, it just sucks. But here we go. NFC Championship Series... Is what everybody, of course, predicted in the beginning of the season. It's going to be Nick Foles versus Case Keenum. Everyone knew this was going to happen. The two backup quarterbacks taking over, leading their teams to this point. I mean, geez, I mean, for NFL ratings, this is clearly the worst matchup imaginable. Matt Ryan against Drew Brees, that, that'll bring in fans. I mean, I would love to watch that matchup, but Foles against Keenum? I mean, I get it. They're both undefeated in the playoffs. I mean, who can you pick? They don't have anything bad to say. I mean, you're undefeated. But um, let's get into the actual stats. Let me let me get a little more serious. So Nick Foles and Keenum have had some quite different seasons when uh, when you talk about them because Case Keenum came in middle earlier on in the season. You know, he really had a great season. He had 22 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. Foles came in, I think, in the last three games of the season. Had five touchdowns and two interceptions, so pretty respectable numbers for Foles. You know, not a bad start whatsoever. And the Eagles do have home advantage, which is a huge factor in these games. You know, I mean, it's like a 12th man. I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm a Saints fan. Seahawks 12th man all the way. You can feel the presence in these type of games. That crowd is going to get nuts. And can Keenum and the Vikings handle that? In my opinion, I think they can. I really do. I think the Vikings are going to win this game. So Keenum, you know, he's had a lot of the season to actually develop chemistry with his wide receivers. He knows their tendencies. He's got Diggs. He's got Rudolph. And Adam Thielen, you know, he suffered a lower back injury against the Saints. But he said he's going to play. And Mike Zimmer said he's going to play. So he's going to play. So they got threats there. They got great running backs. Jarek McKinnon, oh, he is an absolute man mountain. Latavius Murray, former Pro Bowler. That matchup, I mean... That duo is actually really underrated when you think about it. They are seriously deadly. That looks like a team that can make the Super Bowl. They look like a Super Bowl contending team. And their defense is on a whole nother level. I mean, Minnesota easily has the best pass defense in the NFL. Maybe the Jaguars can say 
Um, they have a better defense, but Harrison Smith, the safety for the Vikings, free safety, I believe, has been voted by Pro Football Focus as the number one safety in the league, and his partner in crime, who's currently going through the concussion protocol, Andrew Sandejo, is rated as the number 11 safety. So great duo there, but again, there's a lot more playmakers on that defense. You got Everson Griffin, top five in sacks this season. You got Anthony Barr, made the Pro Bowl, and you got arguably the best shutdown corner in the NFC. You got Mr. Xavier Rose, absolute tank. Whenever uh, one of my wide receivers in fantasy football this year came against the Vikings, and he's the number one wide receiver for the team, I, I automatically bench him. You can't, there's just a few corners in this league where you don't play your wide receivers against them. It's Patrick Peterson, Xavier Rhodes, and I think right now Jalen Ramsey is another person you can add to that list. But right now Vikings are dealing with Thielen, Andrew Sandalo are the only real injuries uh, possible misses for this game. I doubt either will miss. They're looking fine. Eagles have been pretty much injury-free to their main players. And of course this game is going to be the battle of the defenses. I mean, it's going to be hard to pick which one is going to actually open this game first in the scoring department. I think it's going to be Vikings, you know. It's just, it's it's tough to tell because Philadelphia and Minnesota, both are 1-2 and two in total rushing yards given up. So incredible against the run. Fletcher Cox is leading the Eagles. And when Fletcher Cox, Michael Kendricks, and, uh, and uh, I just, that duo is absolutely insane. And then you got Brandon Graham as well. That's why the run defense is so good. I mean, yeah, how do you get past those three guys? It's it's clearly been an issue for nearly every single NFL offense. Philadelphia is also top five in interceptions this season, and they've had the most quarterback pressures. So, again, Eagles are not going to go down without a fight. Case Keenum is definitely going to have to do his homework this week and really prepare for this game because the Eagles are going to be planning on throwing different schemes, different looks at them, and really get them uncomfortable. Just like something, you know, Belichick's going to do against uh, Mr. Blake Bortles, my favorite quarterback in the NFL. But we'll get into that matchup later. But um, again, Eagles do have the home advantage. Um, Minnesota's defense is really going to have to carry them because it's it's really going to be another low-scoring game. Philadelphia barely edged by the, uh, the Falcons 16-10. So it looks like it's going to be another one of those games. And again, that's sort of the more boring matchup this week. Uh, because, you know, I mean, Keenum Foles, that's not really a selling point, really. I and mean, When you're selling points defenses, it's going to be a boring game. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. Maybe it's high scoring, who knows. Maybe helmets are flying, fights are going down, and it's the most entertaining game ever, but I seriously doubt it. But let's go into easily the most important game this week. A lot of critics have different opinions. Everyone has a different opinion on who's going to win. They have different facts to back it up. They have different opinions to back it up. And... My money in the Patriots-Jaguars game. I seriously think the Jaguars are going to win this game. Even though the Patriots have an 80% chance of winning, I have my money on the Jaguars all the way because, I mean, when the Steelers and Jags were playing, I think 11 out of 12 pro analysts had the Steelers winning because home field advantage is huge. But the Jaguars came out of nowhere. They scored 45 points. What? What? The Jaguars? I mean, Fournette had three touchdowns. So, obviously, Belichick uh, and their defense, they're going to be prepared. They're going to be stacking the box. It's going to be sort of nearly the exact same scheme, I would imagine, they ran against the Titans. You know, just stuff the box, stop Derrick Henry. 
and in this case, it's going to be Fournette, and make Blake Bortles win this game for the Jaguars. So when you think about it that way, do you really want to bet on Bortles? It's so it, it's it's a tough thing to really back up your argument that oh I, I think Bortles is going to outperform Tom Brady, but here's the thing: Brady did sustain an injury this week to his hand. Uh, not 100% sure on the details, but you know he did miss practice, so there is a chance Brady's going to be a little bit off. And another thing is, the Jaguars have, in my opinion, the best pass defense in the NFL, clearly. Because the Jaguars' defense has given up the second-fewest yards per game this season. They have the second-most sacks, the second-most interceptions, and they're top five in forced fumbles. And when it comes to quarterbacks against them, they have the lowest QPR, lowest completion rate, and lowest passing yards. So Tom Brady's going to have his work cut out, even though he's the best when it comes to prepping against defenses. He knows how to turn defenses inside out, but the Jaguars are looking like they're on a whole nother level. I mean, it's actually insane to see what A.J. Boy, um, Jalen Ramsey, Barry Church, Calais Campbell. I mean, Calais Campbell is an absolute freak. He's like 6'8", 330 plus. Oh, I think he had around 14.5 sacks this season. Absolutely insane. But when you look at him in interviews, he's a monster. I mean, it's scary looking at him. It's just, he's so big. How do you block someone like that? I mean, Deion Lewis is going to have his work cut out as well when it comes to running the ball up the middle. He's going to get, whew, God, imagine being that little and you have to face someone who's 6'8", 330. I mean, I, I feel for him, but, you know, it's it's what he signed up for. But um, Bortles so far in the playoffs is undefeated. Tom Brady can't say that. Tom Brady has nine playoff losses. Bortles undefeated. So, you know, there's a positive there. But Bortles... On a real note, has only one passing touchdown and less than 325 passing yards in two postseason games, while Brady has over 330 passing yards and three passing touchdowns in that one game against the Titans. But where the game is going to be won is all based on number 87 for the Patriots. Gronkowski, the 6'6", 255, wrecking ball, wrecking crew, Miley Cyrus type player. I mean, how do you stop someone like that? Clearly, teams have been having problems. The only person who I can really say neutralized him was one of the best players in the league, Eric Berry, who held him to only two catches for 44 yards in Week 1. And again, in Week 1, it's sort of, you know, everyone's everywhere. You know, the team hasn't gelled 100%, and you're just really figuring out things. And the Patriots obviously played probably their worst game of the season in Week 1 because, you know, I mean, Hunt tore them a new one. But, um... So let me just give you some Gronk stats because, you know, who doesn't like a little bit of Gronk stats? So Gronk in the postseason is averaging 86 receiving yards and about half a touchdown per game. Actually, no, that's his regular season stats, 86 receiving yards and half a touchdown. But in the postseason, he's averaging 76 receiving yards and 0.9 touchdowns. He knows how to find the end zone in these postseason games. Brady loves Gronk. It's a simple marriage made in heaven. And if I'm the Jaguars, if I'm really looking at this logically, I want to put Jalen Ramsey on Gronk all day long. Jalen Ramsey is an undersized. He's 6'2", 205. So clearly he's given up nearly half a foot. But he's fast as hell. He's going to challenge him. Jalen Ramsey is one of the biggest competitors in the league. You just see him. He's trash-shocking constantly. I mean, he's got a lot to back up in this game. 
He's got. He's talking a lot of trash. He has to back it up. He's backed it up so far, even though he, Jaguars did give up 42 points last week. Uh, obviously, a touchdown in garbage time, but the Jaguars need to improve dramatically if they're going to stop the Patriots. In fact, I have it right here. Jaguars cannot turn over the ball. They do have one of the highest turnover differentials in the league, but as a Seahawks fan, I know painfully well that you can't turn over the ball to the Patriots, especially when there's less than a minute left and you have Marshawn Lynch. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna end it there because I, I don't want to get into details about that. That was one of the most painful moments of my life. But uh, Ramsey so far has allowed a 64.3 passer rating in man coverage, which is the 10th best among cornerbacks. And his partner in crime led all cornerbacks with a 31.6 passer rating in man coverage during the regular season. So A.J. Boye, Jalen Ramsey, both all pro cornerbacks, best duo in football right now. But the problem is, in the postseason, they struggled very heavily against Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown had 132 receiving yards and two touchdowns on them last week. And that was with Boye mostly covering him in man. Ramsey had some looks on him. And that's a serious concern if Jalen Ramsey is going to be on Gronkowski most of the game. Because A.J. Boye is going to be on a very similar receiver, Brandon Cooks. A number one wide receiver on the Saints, who's now on the Patriots. Very fast, a little bit short, but he's got great hands and a great football IQ. So he's going to be a very big weapon, a very big X-factor if Boye does continue to struggle. I seriously doubt he will, considering how great of a regular season he had. But um, it's something to look for. Hopefully he can bounce back from that game. I mean, Brown did come off a calf injury and put up those numbers. Just speaks to how great Antonio Brown is. In my opinion, he's the best wide receiver in the league. But um, another factor, again, like I said, Tom Brady did sustain that injury to his right thumb. He cut it. There was supposedly blood everywhere. He got stitches. And he said, oh, yeah, I might be questionable for this game. Which, I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. Are you really going to start Brian Hoyer? Yeah, that, that, that's what I thought. That's all the answer I need. Just dead silence. I mean, can you imagine how bad the NFL ratings are going to be? I mean, the four supposedly best teams in the NFL have quarterback matchups of Hoyer versus Bortles for the NFC. And for the AFC, it's Keenum versus Foles. I mean, how just depressing is that? Hopefully Brady does play. He will play. I think he's just causing drama. But, um... The injury, I think, will impact his play just a little bit. I mean, it's not good enough to take him out of a game. He's an NFL quarterback, for God's sake. I mean, it's a cut to your thumb. I mean, there's players playing with broken bones out there. Again, I don't advise they should do that, but it happens all the time. And plus, Brady has made the conference championship 12 out of his 18 years in the NFL. Bortles, again, this is his first play, uh, playoff appearance. And again, that's going to be a huge factor. Experience is key. Bortles has never gone this far. And when Tom Brady's gone this far, two-thirds of his illustrious career, it's going to be a factor. Brady knows how to get to this point and farther. That's why he's got five rings. It's why he's the best quarterback of all time. So the Jaguars have to be incredibly efficient in the red zone and on offense with Bortles because the Patriots, guess what? They're also pretty well coached on defense. You might not know that. Of course you do, because their red zone efficiency defense is number one in the NFL. They are incredible at forcing teams to take three over seven. They know how to keep teams out of the end zone. 
So Jaguars have to be efficient. Bortles has to make the most of his limited opportunities in the red zone. Bortles, again, he has to scramble. He has to be that dual threat we've been seeing in the playoffs. I mean, easily his most distinct trait in this playoffs has been his running ability. I mean, it's just come out of nowhere. He had more rushing yards and passing yards in the in the wild card matchup. I mean, what happened there? 88 rushing yards, 87 passing yards against the Bills. I mean, I, I don't even know. He's He's been looking like a totally different quarterback. He actually looks like a number three pick from UCF, by the way. He's got to represent uh, Central Florida. And again, Fournette's going to have to be a weapon as well on the ground. He has to carve out some sort of running game, even though they're going to be stacking the box. He's got to make some big plays. He's got to force some missed tackles. Because where the Jaguars excel the most is play action. Because Bortles can scramble after faking it. He can throw it deep. He's got to make the big plays. He's got to go deep and make those big plays that win big games. Because the Patriots are 18-3 and in their last 21 home playoff games. So, again, all the odds are on the Patriots winning this game. You'd have to be a fool, a sucker, to pick the Jaguars. Or maybe a crazy genius. I'll take that label. But the Jaguars, you know, they did look amazing in the start to that Steelers game last week. They had a 21-0 lead. But the thing is, they nearly had a Falcons total collapse, engine stalling. Oh, well, I mean, uh, did, uh, do you have a flat tire? I mean, wait, what happened there? Did you blow a gasket? Did you have a brain fart? What happened there? You nearly blew a 21-0 lead, barely held on. They should have steamrolled away from the Steelers. It shouldn't have been that close. I mean, honestly, a decision to do an onside kick could have been the difference between the Steelers being in this game or not. So the Jaguars, if they get an early lead, which will be necessary, because the Patriots don't come out flat. They're not going to come out that flat. If they get an early lead, they have to be able to hold on the whole game. They have to have their offense on you know, the field and give the ball away from Brady. Uh, from Brady. you got to get the ball out of his hands whenever you can. So Fournette, again, you got to waste time. you got to have the time possession. And again, it's not like the Patriots are gods. They're beatable. They had, uh, what, three losses this season? And Eli Manning beat them twice. Eli Manning beat them in the Super Bowl. So if Eli Manning can do it, why can't Bortles do it? I mean, Brady lost in the 2015 Conference Championship. To Peyton Manning, an aging Peyton Manning who was having a terrible season, probably one of the worst of his career, and yet he still beat them 20-18 to 18, even though it was down to the last play, a two-point conversion, and the Broncos had one of the best defenses of all time, which the Jaguars also can boast about. They have one of the best, in my opinion, of all time because it's just seriously crazy the amount of talent they have. So the Jaguars do need to play a perfect game. Jalen Ramsey and co. have to shut down Brady. They have to back up the trash talk. They can't be the Steelers because the Steelers talked trash in 2013. Brady dropped 55 points on them. You don't be the Steelers. You don't talk trash and get 55 dropped on you. A good model to live by is just don't be the Steelers, especially when it comes to playoff time. Don't be the Steelers. This is post-2000. You can't be the Steelers. Even though I know they've won Super Bowls with Roethlisberger post-2000. It's just... Okay, maybe the last five seasons Super Bowl, last five season Steelers. You don't want to be like them. But my prediction: Jaguars winning, and for the Super Bowl, I have the Jaguars winning again, and 
holding up the Lombardi Trophy is Blake Bortles himself. Can you just imagine Blake Bortles holding up the Lombardi Trophy? I would just be jumping up and down. I would just be so elated if I saw that. That's going to be my dream for the next two weeks. Just seeing Bortles. Ugh. I mean, he's easily my favorite quarterback. I absolutely love Bortles. He's just he's a living meme quarterback. But um, I think that's all I have for this podcast. You know, if you've listened to the whole thing, you know, I thank you very much. Good for you for powering through. You know, it, it's an exercise. It's a it's like a workout. You gotta you gotta power through the middle. You gotta do those extra curls when you don't feel like doing them. When you got ten reps, you're at eight, and you're like, oh, I can't do two more. But you did the extra two more, so I congr- congratulate you. So you have any um, suggestions for what you want me to talk about next on the next podcast? Again, I have an Instagram account for this podcast, Sports Addict Podcast on IG. You can DM me, and I will 100% listen to what you have to say and totally do the research and talk about it next time. So, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to leave you with some good advice. I think that's going to be a new trend with every podcast. I leave you with some good advice. And uh, my advice for today would be, um, you know, always save your money. Because you never know when there's going to be clearance sales online. You know, if you see those fake Yeezys that light up for 40 bucks, you're going to be like, dang, I should have saved my 40 bucks. Oh, those look sick. Seriously. You never know when JCPenney's having a sale or Old Navy. Dude, you know how many blue shirts I can buy? Oh, I should have saved my money. So that's all I got to say. Thanks for listening. And I'm out. Hasta la vista.